Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but you can give us a call right now. Alex will answer the phone. He's producing... 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, before you take off, Yo. you know how we have had this social distancing when we're in stores and these you know things on the floor and stuff mm-hmm. like that? How come we never have had that social distancing with somebody driving on your rear end, and <laughs> sometimes somebody was on Tracy's rear end last or really? a couple days ago. Yeah. I mean, they were so close. If we would have had to stop or something, it would have been disastrous. But we have this social distancing one place and not another. It doesn't you would, make sense. Well, you're supposed to socially distance or <laughs> right. vehicular distancing. Yes. Maybe we should call it. Uh, yeah, and you know, it used to be a kind of a thing where you would tap the brakes or, or even just turn on your lights to get them to stop. Right. And a, a friend of mine tragically lost somebody because of a case like that. Oh, you're kidding. And so, you know, there are times where you kind of want to do that, and it's like, no, you just really don't. Right. I mean, you're tempted to to, to sh- show them and to scare them, but, but it can be a bad thing. I don't understand. It, it's a, It's such an inconsideration that we're seeing so much now. Uh, I mean, like red lights are 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 like stop signs, maybe. Yes. You know, and, and so there's just a lack of consideration for other people, right. and that's an example of it. And exactly. it's frustrating, and it's dangerous. Yes, it is. I mean, uh, it's, Tracy said, "Gosh, they're so close," and mm-hmm. so I looked in the looked over my shoulder. I thought, "Man, they are." You couldn't even see their headlights. Yeah. Because they were, you know. Wow, they are yeah. right on you then. You aren't kidding. Yeah, and that's scary stuff. I don't know if what they're trying to do is make you pull over or are they trying to, I, I don't get it. And it's really frustrating when somebody in front of you is going slow and, and you can't do anything. It's like, <laughs> look, buddy, you can ride my butt all the way. It doesn't matter. I can't go anywhere. Right. <laughs> so just a little patience, a little consideration goes a long way. Exactly. Well, well, I'm thanks, glad you Brian. guys are okay. <laughs> right. Yes, it is Saturday morning, and we're going to get together, and we're going to have a discussion about what's going on in your landscape. And uh, how about your houseplants? How are they doing? And do you need to do anything in your landscape? Can you still do things? Can you plant? Can you do pruning? Can you do Actually, I saw somebody pruning their hedge yesterday. Unless he was it yesterday. Might have been yesterday. But anyway, with a hedge trimmer. But anyway. 
So use the information I'll share with you, and hopefully it'll make you solidify your options. Of course, with that final judgment of what action you're going to take is going to be on your shoulders. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me over. And uh, very, as I said before, a very important player is Alex. He's producing, and this is going to be the last time Alex is going to be producing the Garden Hotline because he's moving on to greener pastures. And by the way, I'm Mike Miller. I've hosted the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you like, or if you'd like to give a landscape consultation gift certificate, you can just email me, and I can email you the gift certificate back, and you can give it to somebody. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by... St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, as tradition has it, Saturday, the Saturday that's closest to a seasonal change, and by the way, winter starts next Tuesday, I do a tour de yard. And so I walk, I just kind of highlight some of the things that's going on in my landscape, and uh, that's kind of how I do it. So I'll start off on the south side, and that's the narrow area between Pam's house and ours, and it's got a sidewalk. And also the planting there, Lily of the Valley, and it goes along there. And also, really, the Lily of the Valley is very much asleep right now. But most things are, most plant materials. And there's two different types of sedum. There's sedum live forever, and then there's sedum acre. One is more of an upright sedum, and the other one is more of a ground cover type. On the west side, which faces Christie Park, we get to see that panorama of great trees and leaves and everything else, plus the open lawn in between all the trees. And this is on, on that west side also is the first of our three sugar maples that are street trees. And underneath the sugar maple is Sedum Acre. And uh, our front lawn is Zoiza, and it's pretty, pretty good. I, you know... There's a little bit of uh, wild strawberries in there, but not too much else. But it's certainly tanned by the time of year it is. On the north side, which is both our front and back doors, uh, there's plantings of various types of conifers and broadleaf evergreen shrubs as well. Then some perennials, coral bells, Japanese painted fern. There's uh, ground covers, yellow creeping jenny, sedum acre, and then sweet alyssum, which is a self-seeding annual. I've been growing that for years in there, and it's it really has certain times a year, obviously not now, but uh, has a nice fragrance. So there's two other sugar maple street trees on that side of the house, too. So anyway, around to the back, which is the east side of the house, there's always a lawn, but it's kind of spiced by a couple different weeds. You know, My experimental area where I just kind of don't use herbicides or anything, and I just kind of watch and see what comes and what goes and everything else. And then on the other side of our garage, which is back there, along the alley is the purple coneflowers. And there, I have various holiday decorations, and Tracy did a great job of decorating our screen porch. And she uh, actually got a couple of new different things, a cardinal light and uh, a holly's. And that just adds some real nice pizzazz. So uh, it's just 
the thing, holiday decoration that I thought was going to be spectacular didn't quite turn out as good as I thought it would be. I have a smaller snowman, and I have him on top of a table. And so the, the snowman's there, and then I have a weeping tree that uh, the, the branches, it's lighted, obviously. But they kind of drip down, and I thought, if I put the snowman underneath this, it'll look like it's snowing on the, on the snowman. But it doesn't quite do that, but that's okay. You try things, you never know what's going to happen. So, Anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. At least we're getting some rain. I don't think it's enough, really, to make up the difference because we went through that dry spell. And also, when it rains and when we get this wind, then it dehydrates the water that has fallen. And I haven't really—I mean, I know there's rain because there's puddles and things like that, but it's not enough that's really—you can see the raindrops coming down. But anyway, enough of that stuff. Let's head over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Mike, uh, appreciate you uh, taking my call. Sure. Um, here's what I'm uh, kind of up against. I had to open up uh, the front yard of my house for a uh, for a neighbor to connect to a sewer line that was along the road, and so they had to dig across the front of my yard, close to the road, a ten foot deep trench, and so that was displaced a lot of dirt up into the rest of my front yard and it actually all that dirt sat on top of my grass for uh, almost a month it started uh, uh, just before uh, thanksgiving Mm. and um, so anyway the dirt's back in the trench now and it's kind of smoothed out i'm just curious what you would recommend that i need to have my neighbor and that construction company put on my yard because uh, I'm kind of concerned, like, regular grass isn't going to grow. I mean, what would you think I need to do? You mean as far as in the trench? No, I'm not too much worried about the trench, but the amount of dirt that they had to, to dig out, it actually went back at least 15 foot into my yard. Ooh. They had a big pile of dirt that just sat on top of the existing grass. Right. You know, and I'm sure it's it's dead. I, you know, and a bulldozer doesn't do a very good job of landscaping. You know, when they're dragging <laughs> yeah. the dirt back. So very true. Well, probably what I do is I'd have, you know, have them come in and do a aeration of this area wherever they had this piles of dirt, and then I'd put probably a, probably a, a, about an inch or so of compost on top of that. And just let that sit through the wintertime. And what I was going to say is where this trench hole was, too, it's going to be settling. So you're going to have to—that soil's going to have to be improved because the subsoil is now maybe on top, and that's not going to be able to grow grass for you in that space. So that area is going to have to have some compost brought in, maybe a compost topsoil mix, and then blend it in. But let the settle let the settling happen first, because my guess is the trench area is going to drop down probably two to any place between two to four inches because of all the air pockets that are a result of the backfill. Okay, 
Well taken. Well, there's uh, still a big pile of dirt in my neighbor's yard because the projects moved over to her side. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, uh, good tips on the compost for the rest of the front yard that was affected. Right. I appreciate and that. The core aeration for sure, because the soil got compacted by, you know, the existing lawn soil was compacted by just the weight of the, you know, the pile of dirt that was there. Right. Okay. So as soon as it dries up a little bit, uh, get it corrugated and, uh, and then compost on top. Exactly. All right. Hey, thank you for the advice. Sure. My pleasure. All right. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, and 314-436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. Just remember that uh, that's one of the major th- you know, major things that we have to be concerned with is the compaction of soil, regardless of what, you know, if it's equipment or anything else. Because once it gets so compacted, then whether it was a nice lawn, you know, slash soil first, it doesn't really matter. It's just now it's really pressed down and then to have success, even if you lay sod, let alone put down grass seed, the chances of the sod being able to push its root system down into a compacted soil area is going to be somewhat minimal. And if you do end up doing seed, uh, there's a couple of houses that have had some construction close to us, you know, in the front, and they're putting way too much straw. The straw, I don't understand where that whole concept came from, but it's just a light sprinkling of of straw just to kind of hold the moisture. If it gets too thick and deep, then it can make it too humid, and then if any of the seed does start to germinate, then it could actually be killed off by the fungus that's growing in that spot. So just kind of keep that in mind. And this is a perfect time of year to get your soil tested, too. I mean, that's really something that's very, very important to have done. And, I mean, to keep just kind of guessing what kind of fertilizer and stuff, it doesn't work. If you want to really have a successful lawn. And what does a soil test do? The soil test results will tell you the status of the nutrients. Phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, and other things as well. So... Just know that those things are really the major major components of having a successful lawn. And the results, if you take a sample in, will be done in about, uh, oh, 10 to 14 days or so, particularly if they're submitted this time of year. And what you need to do is if you want to have a soil test done from your lawn, just take samples from several different areas in your lawn and... That way, don't take samples out of, out of a, let's say, a, a ground cover area, a vegetable garden area, and a lawn area and mix them all together. You don't want to do that. The soil test will, the conditions will have a big, huge effect on the overall health of the plants, regardless of where they are. And there's certain things that, you know, it just, knowing your soil pH, then that's how acidic it is or how alkaline it is. That's really important because you could be adding nutrients with a fertilizer or something else that actually is basically counterproductive. So just keep that. And over-fertilizing is something that people don't think you can do, but you can over-fertilize, and particularly depending upon what the analysis is. So the testing is one way to tell if you have too much of one thing or not enough of another. And that way you can make those kind of adjustments because... Lawns here or just gardening in, in general is very difficult, as you well know. 
Well, let's head over to Linda's yard now. Hi, Linda. Hi, good morning, Mike. Merry Christmas. Same to you. Hey, at least you made an effort to do that decoration out on your screen porch, so some people, <laughs> some people aren't even making an effort this year, so congratulations <laughs> on whatever way it turned out. But can you help me with a question on orchids? Do you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have to. The leaves are very healthy. They put out new leaves, and I'm feeding with an orchid food, and I get a little bloom stalk coming up, and it gets to a certain point, and then it just completely stops growing. I'm using Better Grow Orchid Plus, you know, in their in their uh, water that I water them once a week. What am I doing wrong? They're in a sunny window. Okay. South. What type of orchid is it? Is it Phalaenopsis? Is it a Cattleya? Uh, do you know which kind it is? Um, I really don't know. It's just kind of, I don't know. It's just, the leaves are, are pretty large. Like, well, but I would describe them looking like bananas on the oh, one. The okay. other one's a little bit different. Well, so, but, yeah. um, you know, ones that I purchased, like one was it from Sam's and I think the other from Schnook. So right. I don't really know. So, well, anyway, some of the orchids, some of the varieties just don't do well in, you know, in house circumstances. So they can, I mean, when they're in a greenhouse or something like that, they'll do fine. But once you bring them home, they just, they don't acclimate really well. And that's pro- that may be the problem as much as anything, because it sounds like you're doing everything, you know, as much as possible. And I'm assuming it's a variety that grows in bark and not in uh, potting mix. Yes, they're in bark. Okay, so so what this is is just a situation with this particular variety of whatever type it is just doesn't like, you know, being indoors to be able to be uh, able to flower because flowering takes a lot of stress. If it, push, you know, if it pushes out a growth that you think is going to be the flower, you know, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just, a, you know, an aerial root system because any of them that grow in the bark are ones that, in their native habitat are growing on the sides of trees and things like that. So my guess oh, is okay. it's just, uh, you know, I would probably go to the Missouri Botanical Garden or the best thing to do would be to to go to the Botanical Garden website, mobot.org, and check out and find out when the uh, Orchid Society meets because they meet there at the Botanical Garden. And if you're really interested in this, I would attend a couple meetings there. And those people... You know, they'll they'll ask you which variety, take a picture with your phone or whatever, and then that way they can know specifically which it is, and you can find out exactly what's going on. Okay. Yeah, I, it's kind of funny. I'm in the Oakville Garden Club. In fact, I'm going to be the president for the next two years, <laughs> so that would be interesting. But uh, we had a speaker from the Missouri Botanical Garden here. It was at my home. Oh, it was prior to COVID, so a couple of years ago. And she um, was kind of in charge of all the, she was talking about 400 orchids that they had there, you know, that she was in charge of. Mm. Well, you know, I listened, but I didn't pay that much attention because I wasn't interested in orchids back then. But right. now I am. And so that's a good, that's a good suggestion. Yeah, because, I mean, they're tough. I mean, I, I, you know, I've grown orchids a lot over the years and everything else. But the only one that I really like is the Phalaenopsis. It's, I mean, they're really good as far as reblooming every year. And uh, I've got, I think, two or three. And, uh, I mean, I've got one that's in flower right now. And so 
they're really pretty easy to care for. Can you can you spell that for no, me? No, I really can't. I mean, not. I'll look it up. Yeah, it's like phalaenopsis. Right. Okay. All right. I'll look up varieties of orchids and uh, maybe like where would be a good place to get one? Do you think? Uh, I mean, you could go to the you know I mean the flower I mean the you could wait until the orchid show is happening at the botanical garden and then you could just get it there. Or, I okay. mean, there's other places you can get them, and they're generally pretty healthy. But uh, that would be the, probably the ideal place to get it. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you for your help, and Merry Christmas. Sure, same to you. Merry Christmas to you. And let's, why don't we go ahead and take a break? Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Chuck's yard now. Hi, Chuck. Morning, Mike. Good I've morning. got two unrelated questions. The first is, in the spring, late spring, I planted a, uh, a small arborvitae. It was a three-gallon uh, pot. Uh, the the variety was a goldie arborvitae, the kind with the yellow leaves. Anyway, what happened was shortly after I planted it, we had a period of very dry weather and windy conditions, and I would say probably half of the plant died, and uh, and I cut out the dead wood, but about half of the plant is still viable, and I'm wondering, will that grow into anything worth seeing? If I just let it go, or should I just cash it in and get a new one this next spring? Yeah, first of all, the golden ones are not really all that great for here, just in general. And if it's already lost half of its, you know, let's say, needles, even though they're not technically needles. But uh, aesthetically, it's not going to look good. Okay. So It's not just the needles, it's the whole limbs. It's the whole stalk. Right, exactly, right. Stems that have died and... And actually, they fell off. I didn't even cut them off. They fell off. So, okay, really? well, yeah. So, I'll just, I that, mean, yeah, because I let it go all summer thinking, well, maybe it'll come back, and it never did. And then finally, all the dead limbs almost just fell on the ground. So, yeah. all right, well, I'll uh, do something else in the spring then. But the Goldies are not great for this area. Then. No, and just in general, uh, you know, once with the Arborvitae, once an area dies off for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, dogs urinating on them or weather-wise or anything else, those spots just never infill. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay, great. Thank you. Listen, my second question has to do with clover. And over the years, I've heard you say over and over again that it's very d- difficult to kill off clover. And I've tried myself, and I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my question is, uh, I actually was doing research on this, and I learned that back in the until the 50s or 60s, grass seed companies were actually blending in clover seed into their mixes, which I thought was odd because we consider it a weed now. But right. should I just uh, should I just quit fighting the battle and just enjoy the clover and let the rabbits have their meals in the spring? I mean, it's a pretty large area. It's probably 30% of my lawn right now. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that because the nice thing about clover is it you know pulls nitrogen out of the air and then puts it down into the root system. And so it, it ultimately is going to kind of 
penetrate out from the root system and enrich the soil, but it doesn't really help anything because it's only clover that's right there. So consequently, the clover will just be healthier. But yeah, okay. many times over the years, I've recommended people getting Dutch white clover and, you know, for very difficult areas to grow lawn and just, you know, it, just, you know, embrace the clover because it's only, you know, it, it flowers. It's only going to get, you know, a certain amount of inches high. It's not going to be problematic. You know, it is invasive. There's no getting around it. But, yeah, I would say if you don't mind it, uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, it's just I've tried so many times to get rid of it, and uh, I, and I kill it off, and I plant grass seed in the fall, and right. the next year it just comes back as strong, and it's just a never-ending battle, apparently. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for your advice. Sure. My pleasure. And let's see. Now, where should we go? Let's go over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hey, Merry Christmas, Mike. Same to you. Hey, listen, I'm the guy that called last week. Uh, I got that hibiscus. I brought it in the house, and uh, I thought I was overwatering it. All the leaves fell, but that wasn't the case. We looked at it in the bright sunlight, and we've seen uh, webs on the tips of the branches on a few of them. Spider mites infested this thing. Oh, really? So, yeah, it, it oh, man, it's bald right now. There's no leaves anywhere. But what I did was I had this uh, fungicide stuff, and I shook it real, real well. It's like an insecticidal soap. And I put it in a little spray bottle, you know, I think a half ounce or whatever for 32-ounce bottle, whatever. And I, I sprayed it two different times. I have to bring it out on the deck to do it. And I really doused it two different times and the soil also. And uh, I'm seeing growth coming back on the ends of the tips of the leaves now. You know, it's like I got some vegetation sprouting out, you know. But the directions on this uh, fungicide stuff, it doesn't, it's not really clear how often to do it. Well, generally, uh, if it's insecticidal soap, then it's not a fungicide. That strictly goes after insects. But for the most part, you know, with spider mites, you almost have to have a, a specific type of insecticide, you know, a miticide versus a regular general insecticide. Oh. So just understand that that's going to be the case. And if you really did have spider mites, best way to do is if you think you have spider mites, not just with looking at the, you know, the little you know, webbing and things, is to put a piece of white paper underneath the branches and shake it. And if you do have spider mites, then you're going to see some like really small red dots, flicks, and that's what the spider mites really are. Okay. Well, this I don't have no leaves on now. It's bare. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the instructions, I mean, this fungicide stuff I use says it does kill spider mites. Really? So yeah. All yeah. right. So I don't I don't see any more webs on it. So uh, I'm wondering how often if you think two times uh, two days in a row would have wiped them out, or it think could, I need to do it more. Well, it, basically, if you don't have any foliage, and the spider mites have basically you know dissipated. You've killed them. But, uh, yeah, if there's no leaves, then there's no nothing to spray. No reason to spray the stems because they can't live on stems or okay. branches or anything like that. They have to live on leaves or, you know, intersection of leaves. Okay. All right, so I'll just wait and see what happens. Uh, uh, you know, there's no, no sense in pulling it out and hosing down the roots and then replanting it in the pot, you think? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Merry Christmas to you, and thanks for your information. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, I admire your uh, tenacity there <laughs> to go after those. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, spider mites are, you know, they're really kind of, di you know, a difficult thing. And they're really, I mean, small webs, I mean, really tiny webs. So, 
you did a good job finding out what it was. Let's head over to Holly's now. Hi, Holly. Hi, Mike. A um, couple of questions here. My daughter gave me an amaryllis about four weeks ago. Ah. And I thought I read the directions, and mine has just a little tiny green growth on the top of it. Am I overwatering it, underwatering it? Hers is about uh, six or seven inches tall right now. Well, it's, you know, basically, so you planted the bulb in the potting mix that it came with it. And that you, is correct. And you watered. So it's just a matter of time, more so oh, than anything so I'm else. Getting, I'm, I'm getting a little bit anxious. Okay. <laughs> All right. Second question is, I've got a lot of hollies around my yard, and some of my girls um, have a bright red berry, and some of the girls have a dark maroon berry. Am I looking at something that's going on with the ones that have the dark maroon? No, just basically it could be variety-wise. Do you think they're the same variety? Yes, they are. Right. Well, why there's a different color, you know, it could be a little bit of the nutrients in the soil, but more than likely it's, you know, as long as the foliage is healthy and everything's healthy, the color of the berries, uh, you know, could be exposure. It could be several different things, but I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Okay. Uh, And the last thing is I put down compost in the spring. Mm -hmm. Should I be putting it down in the fall, too? It certainly wouldn't hurt. You mean you did like a, a core aeration or you just spread it across the... I just I just spread just it. spread it? Yeah. It wouldn't hurt to do it twice a year, so... Oh, okay. And then the hollies, I, I usually just give them holly tone in the spring. Should well, I be doing those twice a year? Also? No. I would say, read the label, but uh, generally with the hollies, I like, you know, I kind of like to fertilize them you know, maybe two or three months in a row starting in the early spring. Oh, okay. That's a little bit different from what the directions say. Right. Though. So, but, uh, you know, read the label and follow that label. I, You know, I usually just, I don't use holly tone. I just, you know, for those type of, you know, plants, I recommend just using a fertilizer for acid-loving plants, broadleaf evergreens. Okay, because I, I put pine bark mulch down, too. That's with fine. Them. That's perfect. So I guess maybe I'm not I'm not overdoing it, right? No. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, and have a Merry Christmas. Well, same to you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. And why don't we go ahead and take a break? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Remember, whether you're growing orchids or any other kind of houseplants, make sure that wherever you place your houseplants that you're not putting them where the heat of your furnace is going to blow down on it because that's going to cause some real problems, especially with anything with, you know, let's say smaller or lighter textured leaves you can start getting some leaf dropping as a result of that. And when you're watering your houseplants, make sure you water with the temperature, water, you know, more or less at room temperature. So you don't have to, you know, I read something the other day that said, you know, pour, get your water in a pitcher and then let it sit overnight. No, just, you know, make the water so it's warm and not just really cold because cold water can cause some damage to the root system. Let's head now to Suzanne's yard. Hi, Suzanne. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Very good. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Um, 
have have you been um a uh, nice person this year? Uh well it all depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sure you haven't been naughty. <laughs> um I was wondering about trees. Do you know um what what type of trees would be the best for the St. Louis area? And um I I I read somewhere that um some trees can it's amazing can can live over a thousand years a thousand years well, not here, let's put it that way, and I don't know if any tree any place can live a thousand years what about what are those trees in California the sequoias and things like that they're very long live, but they can't live here oh yes, yes, I was just wondering like in general the tr- trees that that um i guess yeah they they couldn't live here because of the environmental factor right exactly. But um, we do have some some very good trees. I know that um, is it the pine oak that has suffered from some type of a uh, a disease or something. Yeah, the, any of the red oak group has problems just kind of in general. So it is pin oaks and all the red oak group, which those are the ones that leaves have you know their foliage is pointed. Where the white oak, they're cousins to each other. Their leaves are roundish on the edges. They don't have any of the same problems that the uh, the red oaks do. Oh, so the pine oak is a better tree than the red oak? No, no, no. The pin oak is a, is a red oak. So that has problems. So it's not, it's not pine oak. It's pin, P-I-N. Pin, pin oak. Right. Okay. So, um... I was just thinking because I, I I looked on the internet some some oak trees and the there's a what, magenta there's a magenta oak. I would you know that's again I would say stay with just the ones that are you know go to the Missouri Botanical Garden and look at their website on the ones that are native to here. But I would, if you want an oak, they're very, very slow growing, so you're not going to have an impact for a real long period of time from it. Even if you, you buy a large one and spend a lot of money, it's going to take a, a, multiple years to get itself acclimated to start doing some growth. But if you're really interested in the oaks, I would say look at the white oak group. The white oak. Um, goodness. Um what what are the native trees to to Missouri? Well, the basically the white oaks are native to Missouri. There's others, all kinds of maple trees. There's bald cypress. There's lots of different native trees. There's flowering trees as well. Huh. I was thinking about something along the the they call it the Greenway or the park the uh, Parkway Green. Well, anyway, it's between the the sidewalk and the curb. What what type of trees would be the best there? Well, it all depends. You know what? You know, it's a very narrow space, so the root system. A lot of I don't know where you live, but if you've got sidewalks there, you can walk through the city and you can find out where certain trees you know, have gotten so large it's really disrupted the sidewalk. It's lifted it up and done all kinds of problems like that. So along the street. Uh, I'd you know be kind of careful or cautious about what kind of tree I'd use there. Now so, with so me, we're looking, I, I have the sugar maples. They're not doing too bad, but uh, there's probably their caliper size, their trunk size, 
It's only about uh, maybe probably eight inches or so, maybe eight or nine inches. Would the sycamore do good, good along an area like that? Well, they get pretty big. I mean, the oh, that's wonderful. So then, then uh, we'll have more clean air. <laughs> and so, the bu- and the leaves. Oh, trees are so beautiful, and they have oh, and they get provide shade and. Because the wet, the summers had gotten hotter, and warmer, right. and so um, the trees would provide shade. Right, it sure does. That's what was so beautiful about it all. And and then we have the the wonderful little squirrels that hop around and and chase each other up the the trees, and they're just beautiful. Right, they sure. I mean, they sure are. I mean. Basically, a sycamore will ultimately get big enough that it can disrupt the sidewalk. But uh, I, we live right across the street from Christie Park, and there's all kinds of street trees on the park side that are sycamores. So just realize that they do, they, they're not like sweet gum balls, but they do produce a seed that drops in. It's a ball, but it's not like a sweet gum ball. Hmm. See, we have an oak tree that's outside our house. It's over 60 years old. Right. And... Um, and it, uh, it it has a little bit of problems, not you know uh, something major, but um, I'd like to get another little tree started near it so that um, you know we'll we'll continue to have a tree there, well, you know, for, to provide shade and and the oak tree, it it uh, has the acorns and the squirrels and the birds. It's just wonderful, right? I mean, they sh- they produce the acorns for sure. And so that's nice that you don't mind the squirrels because some people don't like the squirrels because they'll jump from the tree onto their roofs and do other problems. But in essence, you know, just watch out where you're going to be planting a new tree that you don't plant it underneath the drip line of this existing oak tree because that's where a lot of the competition from the existing tree's root system is going to make it difficult for a new tree to get established. Oh, I understand. Thank you. That that that's very smart. I, I didn't know about. I didn't think about that. Right. Um, I'm I'm wondering if the the tree along the curb area between the sidewalk and the curb, if it had more earth along there to um, for the root system, then it wouldn't disrupt the sidewalk. Is that right? Well, I mean, it just depends upon how wide the space is, but ultimately. A lot of the trees are going to get big enough that the root system is going to kind of disrupt it. And as far as, you know, as a street tree, too, realize that I don't know if you have street sweepers or if you have trucks going up and down the street or things like that. If the first few years is going to do some major damage to all the branching and everything else, it's going to break stuff off. So just keep that in mind with this whole process. Yeah, I I wouldn't I don't want anything to damage a tree. Right. In fact, in the city, you can be fined if you damage a tree. Because mm, that, that's city property. A tree is city property. Right. They they took the time to purchase them and to plant them, and actually the residents are supposed to water those trees. Right. The, the city tree. See that that area there between the sidewalk and the curb. That is. Um, that that's like an uh, and that's still city property. Right. Well, Suzanne, they, we got to run. So thank you for your comments. Oh, and I'm everything sorry, else. sir. Um, but um, See ya. yeah, we're supposed to. Hmm. 
Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, I'll be giving the tip of the trowel shortly, but right now you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly, yes, how's your new car? Oh, it's wonderful. Is it? It is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so we bought a, uh, just for those of you who don't know, we got a Tesla, and it's a Model 3, which is kind of the smaller uh, sedan vehicle, and uh, it is, it's a lot of fun. It, it's like driving a spaceship. Really? So you actually have to <laughs> yeah. drive it? I thought you could just sit there. You can. You can. Really? Yeah. I, I've done it a little bit on the self-driving, but you always, you know, you have to have your hand on the wheel, and it will tell you to turn the wheel just a little bit to let it know that you're paying attention because actually if you don't pay attention at some point it will pull over and stop oh you're kidding no you have to have your hand on the wheel and have to move it enough to let it know that you're you're still there you know uh, and so I'm not it takes a while to get comfortable with all that technology I'm and sure. stuff but uh, it is it's really neat and and it's just so smooth and quiet. And uh, it picks up speed like that. You're I mean, kidding. oh, yeah, you hit the gas. and the, I'm sorry, the accelerator. Uh, there's no gas pedal. Uh, <laughs> it's an accelerator. And, and you don't have to use the brake most of the time because it has what they call regenerative braking. So it has a sensor in the front? Well, no. It, well, it has that, but it also has – it's like a golf cart. You know, when you take your foot off the gas, it right. slows down automatically. Sure. That's what it does. So uh, I can drive to work without moving my foot, without taking it off the, the accelerator. You're kidding. Yeah. It's Good it's really, grief. really neat. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's the future of driving, and it's pretty cool. All right. So yeah. you're way ahead of the crowd. Well, I'm, I'm apparently it's one of the fastest um, uh, selling cars in the country, oh, Tesla. Kidding. Yeah, they're wow. they're selling a lot of them. So <laughs> we're we're in there. We're we're one of the leaders yeah. of the pack, I guess. It's really neat. It's just a lot of fun. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. Good to hear. Thank you. Yes, folks. Oh, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. And we can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs, and all arounds for annuals. There are still plenty of pansies that still look pretty good. So your bulbs, hopefully you got all your spring flowering bulbs planted. But if you haven't, you still got an opportunity because the ground is not frozen to get them into the ground. Your ground covers, uh, hopefully if they're underneath trees, that you're not going to let the leaves just build up to the point where it's going to be so deep, it's going to create a humidity problem and uh, a fungus problem for your ground covers, your lawn, your perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take towards success, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing. This is going to be his last time, and he produces a garden hotline. He's moving on to greener pastures. So anyway, because and he's able to move on to greener pastures because he did the garden hotline, so he knows about greener pastures. Anyway, during the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting and on weekends, too. And it's a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And that's my email address and phone number on the homepage. If you'd like to give an, uh, a walk and talk as a uh, holiday gifts to somebody, you can just email me and I'll email a gift certificate back to you. And I'll come and share 40 plus years of experience in the home's landscape design, plants, cares, and maintenance. Tip of the trial is brought to you by 
St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. And it's a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, as I said before. <laughs> Tip of the trial goes out this past week, which I started going to this location when I worked at the Botanical Garden in the 70s. And Tracy and I have been going there since the holiday season for years. This is Missouri Baking Company. It's on the hill. Oh, man, oh, man. The staff there is just, they're great. It's, it's always, particularly this time of year, it's always so packed, and they're so patient, and you know everybody wants, well, we want some springerlies, we want this, we want that, we want these kind of cookies, and all these other things. So a tip of the trial goes out to all the staff members at Missouri Baking Company. They're on the hill. Also, a tip of the trial goes out to the Green Center. They're located in University City, but they're getting, they have their, uh, the winter nature play schedule. And these are one-hour classes for kids between basically four years old to 10. And uh, starting on Tuesday, January 11th, it's a naturalist. And fall becomes a naturalist. Undercovering the secrets of the winter season and develop skills to help them and help you explore the outdoors. So they've got classes all the way through March, and they are between 4 and 5 every day, or not every day, but every day they have the classes. And so if you're interested in having your kids, again, between the ages of 4 and 10 years old, to uh, take some of the classes here at the Green Center, you can call Kathleen at 314 725-8314, extension 105, or you can just go to the classes at thegreencenter.org. So it's a not-for-profit organization. But they've got some really neat ones. The last one, which is March 11th, Hunt for Hot Cocoa. So can you imagine? Great just stuff. I mean, you can't beat that. So why don't we take a call before we take a break? Let's go to Marion. Hi, Marion. How are you? Thank you for taking my call, Mike. Sure. I, I know you've answered a call for an amaryllis, but my experience is this is my first amaryllis. I summered it over in the garage, and about a month ago I brought it into my breakfast area, which is a southwest exposure, and I have three leaves that are like 15 inches tall and one leaf that is about, <clears throat> excuse me, about three inches. I'm wondering, will these flower or are they just going to keep growing tall? Well, the leaves are not the flower. Usually what happens is the flower spike comes up, and then after it finishes flowering or as it's flowering, the leaves start growing out. So apparently okay. how you overwintered it or oversummered it or whatever wasn't quite exactly right. Okay, I wondered because I couldn't see any beginnings of a flower. Right. <clears throat> So this is just going to be green for me this year. Exactly. So in the, so is this the second year you've had it? Yes, I received it last year. Okay, so First last time. year after it flowered, did it put out foliage? Um, hmm. I, yes, because I trimmed it to within an inch okay. of the bulb. And then just let the, and then didn't dry, I mean, just let the bulb sit. You don't do yes, any watering it, or anything else at all? No, kind of, I put and, it out in the garage. Yeah, in the dark. Mm, yes. Well, I mean, you're doing kind of everything right, so why it's not putting out a flower spike, 
you know, I'm not sure. But uh, generally, once okay. they start flowering, their ability to produce a flower is uh, kind of minimal. I mean, once they I've, once they start leafing out, the ability to produce a flower is you know minimal. I thought that might be the situation. Well, I'm enjoying <laughs> enjoying the growth of the green stems. Yeah, but, there's uh, nothing wrong with great, nice looking leaves because they does. You know, I mean, they do have nice leaves. Yes, they do, and it and it loves the sun where it is. Right. So, well, thank you, and I think I'll purchase a new one this year, and uh, we'll try it again. <laughs> right. Good luck. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Merry Christmas. Sure. Merry Christmas to you. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. 414-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. In my backyard where I you know, encourage or I just allow the weeds to grow so I can kind of keep track of what's going on, really what I'm seeing more so than anything else is chickweed. And uh, that's more, I mean, that's one of the cool season annual weeds, which actually germinated last August. It's looking, you know, it looks fine. I do pull it, you know, sometimes, but uh, I just kind of watch and see what's going to be coming up, you know, soon and uh, just kind of keep track of it. But let's head over to Jim's yard now. Hi, Jim. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. We, we tilled up a couple areas here at the house. And we plan to put a couple inches of compost on it and then retill it and plant our uh, perennial wildflowers in early February. Is that reasonable? We don't want it to warm up and cause germination. So you're, you're growing the wildflowers from seed? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you, you probably should. I mean, that sounds just right. So, I mean, it's going to be weather-dependent, obviously. But, uh, yeah, what you're doing with this, you know, adding the compost to the soil and everything else and then, you know, spreading the seed, that's what you should be doing. And is February okay? Yeah. I mean, uh, you could actually, if you were going to try to start them inside, you could actually do it you know, even earlier than that. But to start them outside, yeah, because, I mean, natural wildflowers, they've dropped the seed in the fall, depending upon the variety, of course. And then those seeds just lay there on the ground, and that's, you know, that's kind of what nature does. Okay. Should we cover the seeds when we throw them on the ground with a little compost? Uh, you could probably do that, but you, it's probably not necessary. If you just water them in, that should be adequate. Okay. Thank you very much, and have a Merry Christmas. Yes, same to you. Hi. And thanks for calling. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got some phone lines open. Let's head over to Joseph's yard. Hi, Joseph. Hey, Joseph, are you there? Joseph, you who? Oh, hello. Hi, Mike. Yes. I'm sorry about it. Let's see. Um, I have a zoysia in my backyard, but it seems like on the outside edges, I'm getting a rust. On just uh, on the on. The, well, it's 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 well, it's just the the grass is just going to a rust, big chunks of it. Hmm. I would probably. I mean, it sounds like you have a fungus problem, but uh, are you, how are you watering it and everything? Oh, I'm just letting it go natural. It's oh. such a beautiful backyard. <laughs> well, probably what I do is, uh, as soon as I would not do it now, but as soon as it starts greening up in the springtime, 
dig up about a six-inch square of the transition where you're seeing the rust, you know, the fungus mm-hmm. or whatever, and where it's green, and then take it to your favorite garden center and have them take a look at it. Oh, okay. And that way you're going to you know, find out exactly what's going on there and what you need to do. You wouldn't recommend just going out there and just cutting it out right now, just, well, just taking the chunks out? Uh, you could do that if you wanted to, but I don't know if it's going to make much difference because sometimes when we, let's say, drive a tool down into a, an area that has a fungus, be it a spade or whatever, and then we put it in a, a, you know, another spot, we could be spreading that even more. So, so I would probably, you could do it, but I don't know if it's going to you know, be to the advantage of your zoysia overall. Okay, okay. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Mike. Merry Christmas to you. Sure, same to you. And, Thanks, buddy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if you can go out and, you know, dig it up, but uh, if you're going to dig it up, just make sure what's going to happen is the spots that you're digging it up are just going to be sort of like mud spots, and it may not get rid of the problem. The problem, may, you know, so if you want to do that, you certainly can. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, things that you need to be doing in your landscape just kind of in general. Uh, this is a good time of year, especially with all the leaves have pretty much fallen now. If you start to see some leaves accumulating in one part of your landscape, go out there and check it out. It may be a low spot. So in other words, the leaves are blowing, and then they catch in the low spot, and the wind blows over the top of them, and they stay there. So just keep that in mind. And those are the spots where you want to make some improvements to the soil in that area. So you want to elevate it. So this is a good time of year to do that. And low spots is certainly in a situation with the difficulty we we have, regardless of what type of lawn you're trying to grow, whether it's a fescue, bluegrass, or zoysia, where it's low and moist, fungus problems, you know, are just, uh, let's say, a real disaster, a real heartache. If you do grow strawberries, this is a time of year that you want to just loosely throw some straw over the plant material. Not enough where you can see or where you can't see the strawberries, but just over, you know, loosely over the top of the plant material. And what that's doing is protecting the crowns of the strawberries. So that's where the actually root system and the uh, foliage work <laughs> meet. And so just periodically check it to see if the straw has blown or if you need to do a little bit more, but that's one thing you can do for that. Also check just, you know, any kind of chemicals, garden chemicals or anything that you have that it's, let's say, granular type. Make sure that for the wintertime they're not sitting on the garage floor because a lot of times the floor with just the moisture and everything else that can accumulate can penetrate up through the bag and cause some problems with your let's say your granular type uh, chemicals, fertilizer or insecticides or anything else. And also, if you've got a liquid one, put, you know, put it up on the shelf as well and to keep it from freezing and make sure that you're being conscious of the fact that, you know, if you've got pets and you've got children, that you're putting all this stuff away from, you know, where the kids or the pets can be fooling around with this kind of stuff. And if you've got any kind of leftover seed that you've collected yourself, like zinnia seeds or other kinds of seeds from your landscape or just packs of seeds, just keep them dry. Don't store them in, the ref- don't store them in a freezer. 
I mean, they say you can store them in a refrigerator, but I, to me, that just seems a little bit nuts. Our refrigerator doesn't have that much room. Let's put it that way. But uh, if you just put them and keep them dry and in a cool location, that's, you know, that's fine. This is a time to get out there with all the, you know, debris from all the plant material through the entire growing season, whether there was annuals, whether it was vegetables, whether it was other things, perennials. As long as they weren't fall bloomers, then cut all the debris off because that, you know, is a situation where you could have be, uh, you know, you could have diseases or insects or things like that. Uh, the other day I was, I wasn't crawling, but I was going underneath the mugo pine that we have, and I saw some squirrely stuff or squiggly-looking stuff. And what I did is I picked up a, several leaves that were underneath the mugo pine, so they had just blown in. And there was a couple slugs that were there. So just that's, you know, getting rid of those kind of problems is what it's really going to do. Again, your house plants, just make sure that you use the water that's at room temperature. And uh, if you're trying to grow the flowering, you know, the Christmas cactus or the Thanksgiving cactus, they like cooler temperatures. So keep them away from anything that could generate any kind of heat, like a vent from the furnace or even like, you know, utilities or anything that might generate heat. Keep those cactus away from that kind of circumstance because they like to have it cool to be able to, you know, do the best they possibly can. And uh, mulch your perennials. Yes, the ground is not even frozen yet at all. So you still have got an opportunity to mulch, but just only one to two inches, maybe three at the most around your perennials. I prefer two, but uh, just watch out for that just in general. And remember, since the ground is not frozen, also the earthworms are still active. What that means is if the earthworms are active and you moles are going to be active too because how moles find the earthworms is they hit, and that's their main source of food not you know grubs or anything else they hear the earthworms crawling through the ground and that's what they tunnel towards so and using the mole traps is the best thing you can possibly do so and this time of year just watch out about it, fertilizing anything at all just really be conscious and cautious about putting any kind of fertilizer on because you may force some growth depending we don't know or I don't know what the weather's going to be like. So if you fertilize, what it could do would be absorbed up by the plant material regardless of what type it is, and it could you know force, let's say, premature growth, whether it be you know leaf buds, flower buds, or any kind of growth whatsoever you know, encouraging that. And that's what you don't want to have happen as we winter starts on Tuesday. So winter is, in theory, you know, going to be starting on Tuesday. And uh, also, it's a good time uh, to go down. It's probably you dug up your, if you did dig up your, uh, your summer bulbs, your cannas and your gladiolas and things along that line, and you stored them up in a, you know, in the basement or wherever, I you know I always dig up my stuff and put it you know put them down in the basement. Just check the bags to make sure that they're still firm and everything looks really good with that. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open so if you have any questions or concerns Give us a call back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. 
Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We had a, you know, a couple calls today already about amaryllis, but there's you know other bulbs not quite as spectacular as amaryllis because, I mean, those flowers are huge and everything else, but something that's very easy to grow and when it finishes flowering, you just throw the bulb away. They're not, you can't do anything to bring them back again. You can grow them in water. You know, not, I guess they could actually float in a glass of water, but water with, you know, gravel and things like that, paper white narcissus. So those are, I mean, and they'll take off pretty darn quick. So I'm not saying that if you've got some bulbs and started to grow them, they're going to be blooming by Christmas. No. But maybe uh, probably early in January they'll be in flower. So, and they're really, I mean, pure white, very nice. Let's head over now to Rita's yard. Hi, Rita. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have green moss growing in my yard. I have about a half acre yard. And there's also green moss uh, growing on two of my oak trees. Um, I have partial sun, and I've used Scott X to try to get rid of it, uh, especially along the stone wall. But it keeps coming back. And right. Do you have any ideas? Uh, there's nothing you can do about it, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, realistically, growing yeah. up the trunk, the trees could care less. That's like some of the lichens and other things that grow on trunks and branches. And in your lawn, the soil is just right, and to change the soil chemistry enough so you wouldn't have any moss is not going to happen. Oh, okay. So trying to dig it up or put some chemical on it won't hurt and won't work. No, it really won't. I mean, you'll just you'll be expending a whole lot of energy, mental and you know, physical. And the end result is there's still going to be, you may, let's say, reduce it, but it's still going to, you know, have a tendency to come back. Maybe okay. not quite as bad, but it's going to happen. I mean, sure. I, I have some green my... moss growing in some cracks in my driveway, and I'm just out fooling around with it. I've tried to get rid of it a couple times, even in that circumstance, huh. just, you know, for my own educational circumstance, situation, and it, it comes back. Okay, well, I guess I'll learn to like it, huh? <laughs> right, exactly. Embrace it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> sure. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, things to remember, if you have dogs in your landscape and where the dogs go and you can't, you're having a hard time growing, let's say, some of the shrubs, the lower part of the branches where the dogs urinate or in the lawn area, it's not necessarily because the urine is high, high alkaline but high nitrogen content. And that's what it is. It's burning the plant material. So the best, uh, you know, just realize that. I've seen a lot of people have not cut their ornamental grasses back yet. If you don't, they're going to be all over the place in another couple of weeks. So just get some bungee cords, go out there, depending upon what type of variety of the ornamental grass that you have. And some of the bigger ones you want to cut down to about, uh, oh, you know, 12 to 15 inches. Some of the smaller ones down to four or six inches. But the bungee cord just makes it so when you start cutting, they'll all kind of fall over together. So if it's the smaller grasses, you really don't need the bungee cords. But like with the miscanthus and pampas grass and things like that, and if you, another thing that you can do is to bring in, let's say you want to have some color, 
and that's probably like three weeks or so after you do this, if you have, let's say, spring-blooming shrubs, like forsythia, spireas, or something along that line, you can just cut some branches off, bring them inside, put them in water, and you'll be surprised. In a couple weeks, they're going to be in bloom. So that's another thing you can do. You still have an opportunity to do some transplanting. If you want to move some, let's say, some of your perennials or you want to move some of the ground cover from one space to another because it's a little thin in one spot, you can still do that. Or you can go to the garden centers. Some of the garden centers are no longer carrying plant material like that, but some of them may have it, and you can still plant and even if it gets really, you know, kind of cold quickly, the ground is still not frozen. So it's still warm enough that you're going to be able to encourage some root system growth. So that's, you know, something that you can really do. Uh, hedges, watch out about being pruning. Any kind of, uh, you know, hedge this time of year. As I said in the first hour, there was somebody that we were driving past their house, and he was pruning his—he had boxwood— and he was pruning the boxwood, you know, basically last week. I think it was either – I think it was on Thursday or so. But uh, when you start cutting things that are, you know, broadleaf evergreens like that or even like yew hedges or something where you cut the tips off, those tips have been really acclimated more towards the weather, the bad aspects of the weather. So consequently now you're exposing some of the – you know, needles that have been protected by the, you know, the areas that you've cut off. And so if we do have a really severe cold snap, it could do some really, da- you know, bad damage to that. If you do have roses, grandiflora, floribundas, and those type of roses, you still haven't mulched them, well, you should put some mulch over. So where that graft is, over the top of that graft, you want about six or eight inches of mulch over the top of that. And you can cut the canes off to about 15 or 18 inches and that's, you know, there's not a problem doing that whatsoever. So uh, let's see. If you have ground covers, this is one, one of the things I may do after the show today is I've got ground covers, as I you know told you, uh, some sedum, some creeping jennies and things like that, and sweet alyssum. I'm going to set my mower high in the areas where they're growing. I'm going to just mow over the top of it because we've got some leaves piled up on top of that. So the leaves, I've got a mulching mower. The leaves are going to be chopped up, and then it's, they're going to fall right back down into the ground and just kind of protect the, you know, the ground covers just in general. But when it, they, it gets so piled up and deep, then that's where it's real trouble. So underneath the mugo pine, uh, I, you know, it's really it's a, a heartache. I can't figure out exactly how the wind whips it up the street, and then it t- bends and turns. And uh, it's like probably like six or eight inches of mulch not mulch, but six or eight inches of leaves, of oak leaves, have blown up from the park. So that's one of the areas I'm going to chop up as well. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. Let's head over and see what's going on with Carol. Hi, Carol. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a question. I'm going to be moving next month, and I have a little miniature rose bush out in my garden that I'd like to take with me. And it's blooming now, amazingly. <laughs> but, 
I was wondering if I could dig that up now and put it in a pot and take it with me. Yeah, I, I would go ahead and do that. The, the day before you start to dig it up, though, make sure that you really water the soil really well around it. But uh, okay. there, I've seen quite a few roses, not just some miniature roses, that are still blooming. So it's really, this is really kind of an amazing year. It's kind of funny with the weather, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. So do you know where you do you know where you're going to put it in the new location, your new home? Well, I'm I'm moving to a retirement center, and I'll have a patio. Okay. Uh, I would probably put it in, I don't know, it's, since it's a miniature rose, I wouldn't put it in a pot that's any bigger than like an 8-inch pot. But what you okay. could do for some uh, extra protection is get a larger pot and then put some mulch around the, you know, at the very bottom of that, then set the pot that has a rose in it down inside the larger pot and then just put mulch all the way around it. Okay, and then the pot will be sitting in the mulch. Exactly. So that would just offer a little bit of a you know protection because we just don't have any idea what the weather's going to do. Well, when I move in January, am I going to put the pot outside or inside? Uh, I would. I wouldn't leave it inside. I'd put it outside. Oh, okay. But just make okay. sure that it doesn't get you know overly dry while it's sitting outside either. No, I keep watering it. Right. Okay, will do. I thank you, and I wish you a Merry Christmas. Well, same to you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. And now let's go over to David's. Hi, David. Hi, Mike. I um, have quite a few um, volunteer seedlings that have grown into red buds, and I'm wanting to transplant them into my farm that's up in Monroe County. Uh, so I'm wondering, I've got one that's, Nine to ten foot tall. Oh my goodness! Them, yeah, it was a monster. Uh, really likes where the sun location is in the front of the house, but I've got anywhere from about fifteen inches to that giant monster. Um, do I do I take a chance now, or do I wait till February, March? Uh, the big one I wouldn't even fool with, to be honest okay. with you. That's you think of a tap root. Yeah, that's you know just a whole root ball and everything else is going to be overly gigantic and weigh a ton and everything else and some of the smaller ones you have some that are like a couple you know let's say two or three feet or less yeah what you can do with those is you can actually you don't have to get soil around them just water them really well do this in february and just work them up out of the soil so in other words you're going to do bare root that's what i thought and then you could put you know put them in a like a plastic bag or something for just a short period of time until they can get until you can get them planted. So, a day or two before you're going to actually go and plant them, uh, you know, dig them up and just bare root them as opposed to you know trying to dig soil with them. All right, great. Thanks a lot. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, I mean, bare root is a lot of you know a lot of the production nurseries, a lot of retail nurseries and stuff do a lot of things with bare root plant material. When I used to work at Old Orchard Gardens, which was a retail nursery in West County, in February we'd get bare root roses, we'd get bare root lots of things, and we'd pot them up ourselves. So it's just, uh, I mean, that's something that really works pretty good. Now let's head over to Art Yard. Hi, Art. Yeah, thanks for taking the call. Sure. Mike on Hosta and Sedum. I have both that are maybe about 14 or 16 inches tall. How low can you cut them? Uh, this, the, is it an evergreen sedum? 
these are, yeah, green sedum, right. Yeah, well, it's probably sedum live forever because usually the sedums don't get quite that tall. But uh, These are very succulent type of leaves on them, you know. Right, and so the probably the leaves that are still functional are right at the ground level. So you can cut off all the old flower stalks and everything else from that. And with the hosta, you can cut them down to the virtually to the ground. Okay, thanks a lot. Sure. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And now let's head over to Ruth's yard. Hi, Ruth. Hi, how are you? Very good. I have a butterfly bush. <clears throat> it's a compact uh, Miss Molly. And it, I got it for Mother's Day this year. It's about three foot tall. Uh-huh. Should How far should I cut that down, or should I? You should probably leave it alone. And that's you know the case with anything that's relatively new. Less than two years in the ground, leave all the branches, leave everything as you possibly can, because that's how the plant gets itself acclimated to the new location, with having foliage. So if you reduce the amount of foliage, then the chances of it making energy to be able to get the root system established and grow better is going to be reduced. So don't cut it back at all. So in the, the dead blooms that are still on it, I should leave them alone also? Well, you can cut the blooms off. That's an aesthetic thing. But cutting the, you know, just cut where the flowers, you know, right below where the flowers were and uh, yes. leave everything else alone. Okay. Thanks for the advice. Sure. My pleasure. And if anybody, we've got a you know, little time left. So if anybody has a question, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As you all know that I, you know, I grow uh, all my spring flowering bulbs in pots. And so what I've got is I've got buckets of water. And even though it's rained and everything else, I'm going to take these buckets of water and I'm going to you know, water all these pots. So I've got them in several different locations. And if you do try to grow, you know, plants in pots, you know, whether they're perennials or whether they're bulbs or anything else, make sure you don't put the pots underneath an eave or something along that line because you want to have the rain, you know, hit wherever the pots are. And if they're underneath the eave of your house, the chances of it, uh, you know, not getting rainwater is going to be really bad. And uh, no fertilizers needed or anything else. So basically I just try to, you know, keep the soil Every few weeks, I just go out and water them, and uh, that's about all I, you know, all I need to do. <laughs> and it looks like we're getting some quite a few phone calls. And uh, so, let's see. Oh, let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, Mike. Enjoy your program. Um, did you say if I plant a cypress tree near a sewer line? Uh, it would probably find the sewer line and clog it up, the, the roots. Well, bald cypress, I mean, they you know, do a lot of lateral growth. But generally, I mean, they don't, the root system don't search out, for, you know, let's say a source for water. They just happen to grow, and if they run into the, you know, into the pipeline, then they'll you know, have a tendency, depending upon what type of pipeline it is, you know, to grow and cause problems for it. So I would not plant one right over or within, you know, you know several feet of, a, you know, any kind of line that's going to have any kind of moisture related to it or any kind of pipeline at all. What about 10 or 15 feet away? You should be okay, you know, with that okay. far away. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, and, the, you know, the bald cypress trees have a deep tap root, 
but the a lateral root growth is going to be extensive. So realize as a thing, as a tree matures that you're not going to be able to grow too much plant material underneath it because there's not going to be much soil. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. And let's head over to Carol's now. Hi, Carol. Mike, how are you doing? I have a Mexican petunia that I know is an annual in our park, but in other places it's a perennial. So I thought, well, what the heck, I'd bring it in this year. Mm -hmm. And I have it in, and it's probably almost six feet tall, and it has hundreds of what could be blossoms if it had more sun. Should I cut those off to... So it's not taking too much energy working on those little buds? Yes, because, I mean, even, you know, plants are really healthy in the ideal circumstance, which this is not. Flowering is very stressful for any kind of plant. And so when they're in this situation that's not the ideal one, yeah, get rid of anything at all that could be, you know, a stressful factor. Okay, because, I mean, it looks really pretty otherwise. And I thought, well, I will just take a chance and see if I can keep it over the winter. Right. I appreciate your help. Thanks so much. Have a Merry Christmas. Sure. Same to you. And now, let's, Donna, could you do it kind of quick? I can. Good morning, Mike. I Hi. have a question about hyacinths. I bought some that were in bloom in pots. Ooh. So I let them dry out, and I just left them in the pot and stick, stuck them in the ground uh, in the pot, kind of covered them up with leaves and mulch. What do you think my chances if they'll come back next year? Uh, probably pretty good. I mean, these, oh. are the, these are not the – are these grape hyacinths, or are they the regular-sized hyacinths? Regular size okay. hyacinth. That, I mean, they should be able to, you know, recover from that. That shouldn't be Woo-hoo. a problem. All right. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> sure. My pleasure. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And sorry, Ann, Chris, and Laura, I don't think we're going to get a chance to have you on the air today, but we will be back next week, we hope. But anyway, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, Hanukkah and everything else that's going on this time of year, this, you know, and certainly say hello to winter, which we haven't really experienced too much winter. We've had some cold temperatures, but uh, winter starts on Tuesday, and the days are getting so short. I mean, basically Tuesday is the shortest daylight day of the year, and they'll start increasing you know, a couple minutes every day. But, uh, boy, it seems like when it's cloudy like this and the sun starts going down, uh, we can't even see the sun when it's cloudy like this. It just starts getting dark, dark, darker, and darker. But this is the time of year. Say hello to everybody. Be friendly. Be nice. And uh, just enjoy the holiday season because it is really once-a-year type thing. And I want to appreciate everybody that uh, has done some holiday decorations on the outside. There's been some really fantastic ones. The one I'm concerned about, though, is... Santa Claus is always out, but I guess Mrs. Claus is back at home. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.